So it's great to have Simon with us today. Let's uh, extend a hand to him as we pray. Lord, thank you for this man's life of faith following you. And Lord, take what it is that he's prepared. Lord, come and anoint it by your Holy Spirit. Come and speak to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, may we step into taking action from what's shared this morning. Thank you so much for Simon. Thank you, Lord. Move in power amongst us now as he shares. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Anne. Morning, everybody. Great to be here. I think I was last here about five years ago, been coming on and off for the last 20 years. Recently, well, relatively recently, returned from 20 years in Burundi. So I've got a few familiar faces, but most of you are new faces here. So a bit of context introduction, hopefully. Some pictures will come up on the screen just to give you an idea. If you didn't know where Burundi was, that I am Burundian. Our family is five, only about 10 white Burundians in the world. Uh, so we became Burundian out there, keep going, lived in Bujumbura, and it was an area that was very dangerous. Uh, so that was what it was known for in terms of conflict. It's actually the most dangerous country in the world when I went out there as a 25-year-old back in 1999. Keep going. Uh, afterwards, if you want to grab a few books, keep going on this. This is just context. I've written that's a daily devotional if you wanted to grab that one. That's the family. There you go. So I went out as a single nutter, expecting to die. Never thought I made the age of 30. Then I, I did make the age of 30. I'm actually 48 now and uh, three kids. All that to say life is a gift, and it's a gift, and it's to be lived. And uh, I think in extreme circumstances like a war zone, that just heightens the reality of the gift that we've got, and we don't want to waste our time. And I know, I presume you don't want to waste your life, you don't want to waste your time. So that's the kind of heartbeat I'm coming from. Next one. Uh, just in terms of idea and context, we are the hungriest country in the world. So that is my four-year-old, my friend's four-year-old Canadian daughter, the Alma. She is four. The girl in the middle, she's four. Or she was four. She's probably dead now. And so you, you can't get 56% malnourishment of the whole nation, but you can get that. And that is wrong. And there's lots of things that are wrong in the world that we are meant to be God's redemptive agents to bring transformation, be part of the solution. And so I don't want any of you to go out to Burundi. That's not the agenda when I come and visit churches. But I want to stir you up with the same sort of zeal to think, what does it look like for me to be God's hands and feet and mouthpiece where I am right now today in Cambridge? Next one. So I'm just going to keep going on this picture, and again, I'm going to share a few stories of the miraculous in the talk coming up, and that's, that's the picture that you'll remember. Next one, and I'll also share the story of this little boy uh, who is now dead, uh, but I'll share that story. That his name is Bongani. When I refer to Bongani, you'll remember that picture. Next one. And if you've got your phone, I'd love you to do that QR code there. Follow us. Um, and basically, I'm, I believe I'm alive because of people's prayers. You know, people tried to kill me, people I care about got killed. It's been a very tense journey, and my guys out there are still busting a gut in very tough circumstances. So I'd love it if you wanted to pray for us. Genuinely, I think we've just, well, we have seen extraordinary answers to prayer. I reckon over the years, we've seen several hundred thousand people come to Jesus through our work out there. It's been absolutely extraordinary. It's in the darkest places that the light shines brightest, and we've really seen that in, in very grim circumstances. And maybe next one, uh, I've recently launched this, this, um, this podcast, which is just interviewing incredible people of faith. So again, if you wanted to get that, do. Um, right, let, now let's look at the passage. So it's, I've called this title, Down with the Kids. It's in your Equipped with the Way, uh, for the Way series. And uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and maybe those verses will come up. It's um, verses 15 to 17. There you go. And I've called it Down with the Kids. Now think about it, that's a weird title, isn't it? Down with the Kids. Is that Down with the Kids? Like, uh, Down with Kids, boo to kids? 
or is it down with the kids? And I think Jesus was down with the kids. So that's, that's what I'm meaning by that, uh, and we'll get into the meat proper. But, you know, I love Jesus so much because he was such an uncomfortable person to be around because he was so unpredictable, and he would call out things when he, they needed calling out, and he'd hang out with losers, and he wouldn't let you get away with hypocrisy, and he was so out the box. And I think we like a tame, respectable, domesticated Jesus, don't we? Maybe particularly in Cambridge. I don't know. As an outsider, can I say that? I don't know. We like to have you know, God on a leash. And, and be able to have him under control. And we say we're followers of Jesus, but are we actually following Jesus? Are we expecting him to follow us on our terms, at our convenience, rubber stamping our political persuasion or our bugbears or whatever? And Jesus just defies, smashes all those categories, doesn't he? So the context of these verses is uh, verses 9 to 14. And he's already messed with their heads, and he's constantly messing with my head. And because he's talked about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and you know, the, the tax collector was the scum. He was the traitor of his own people. He was the fleecer. He was greedy. Uh, and the, the Pharisee was the respectable Anne or Simon, the pastor, the, the, you know, the sort of good, upstanding member of society. And, and, and yet, in Jesus' story... You know, we come out really badly, and the scum of society actually, in this case, came out well. So Jesus is messing with our heads, and now he messes again with our heads. And these are very, very familiar verses, aren't they? I've never actually preached on them, so I love preaching on, on a new passage, you know, very typical passage to have if someone was being christened right now or whatever. But let's be struck afresh by these verses, as I have in the preparation this morning. Verse 15, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three synoptic gospels have this. It's Matthew 19, Mark 10, and here we've got Luke 18. Uh, and, you know, picture the scene. So they bring, it says, little ba babies to Jesus. Uh, so they're babies. And then he says, let the little children come to me. So I, I'm picturing either a baby, a toddler, or a three, four-year-old. That's what I'm picturing, coming, sitting on his knees, saying, this is what you've got to be like. Now, that is very weird, isn't it? And I think I would have been with the sort of the, the, the welcome team. They say, look... What are you doing, guys? Jesus has got much more important stuff to do. And he's saying, no, let these guys come to me. They are absolutely priority to me. Now, here's a question. Do you want your children to turn out like you? Now, if you're a parent, you've got your own kids. Do you want them to turn out like you? If you haven't got kids, if you're younger or whatever, or you've got nephews or nieces, or, you know, you've got kids you see in the school playground, would you want them to turn out like you? And unless you've got sort of lobotomized lack of self-awareness, the answer would be, well, I'd like them to inherit some of my personality types, but not others. I'd like them to inherit my passion, but not my lack of attention to de for detail. I'd like them to inherit my good looks, but not my sense of humor. You know, whatever it is, that's, that's probably what we'd say. Do you want to ch your children to turn out like you? Now, let me turn that around. Do you want to turn out like your children. Because actually, screws your head, that is what Jesus is saying in this passage. There's something about children, picture that three or four-year-old, that leads Jesus to say, insist 
But we need to be like them. We need to share that characteristics. He's not saying be childish, but he is saying be childlike. And that's very challenging, if I may say, for us sophisticated, self-sufficient people. Shout out to me now some characteristics of children. Go for it. Loving, keep going. Good. Inquisitive, trusting, good. Mercy, brilliant. So, you know, I've got a whole bunch here. Needy, dependent, relatively clueless, emotional more than rational, often taking things literally, humble, pliable in the potter's hands, submissive, lowly, forgiving, trusting, refreshingly honest. I was preaching in Edinburgh uh, just last year, and I was staying at my mate's house, and this cherubic four-year-old, uh, Elsa, she was sat on the floor next to me watching. I was, I was in bed. It was cold, you know, in Scotland, and, and uh, I was there on my laptop doing stuff, and she sat at my feet next to the bed, and she, looked, she was so beautiful and gorgeous, and she looked up and she said, what the heck are you doing? And I was like, of course, she's obviously heard her parents say, what the heck are you doing, quite a lot. But it was just so beautifully innocent. And, uh, you know, what is Jesus saying when he's saying we need to be like children? I'm going to go through a number of these. Now, I don't want them all to nail you, characters of children, that we not be childish, but childlike. The first one is that actually we are meant to be needy and dependent. Now, those can be negative words, but let's just define and qualify those. Needy and dependent versus uh, self-sufficient and independent. Now, we are probably supremely self-sufficient here and, and independent, but actually, and we would echo Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way, wouldn't we? And yet, think about it, think about it. I, I'm addressing a pretty privileged crowd. I would guess we'd all acknowledge that. I know I come from a privileged background. But Tim Keller says this, anything you have, any success you've made of your life, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you have earned. In short, all your resources, all your successes are, in the end, the gift of God. So you might think I'm independent and successful and all that, but stick you in a hut as a mutwa pygmy in Burundi. Would you have made that? Of course not. It's all the grace of God. We are all needy and dependent, but many of us don't recognize that. I think of a friend of mine in Burundi, and she went and sat next to this guy who was in his 80s, and he had an empty, empty bowl, and he was praying, and she sat next to him and said, what's your story, old man? And this old man, he had walked six days to get that refugee camp. He'd, have, he'd had his wife and kids hacked to death. His house burnt down. He was in his 80s with his empty bowl and his rags, stinky clothes, praying. And at the end of this horrific story, he turned to her and he said, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. That's challenging, isn't it? Our challenge in Cambridge is... I'm not saying we're all in the same boat at all, but um, it was probably to recognize that Jesus is all we need, and he is, needs to be number one in our lives, and so many other things are pushing him out and crowding him out, and the Bible is clear. You, can I be blunt with you this morning? Can I be blunt with you as you're listening online? Maybe in bed. Get out of bed. Listen properly. Uh, you are needy. You are needy. You are dependent. You need a Savior. Your, your sickness is your sin. The consequence is a separation from God. This message is urgent. We need to come to the Savior and seek his forgiveness. And what that I'm saying is offensive. That's offensive, isn't it? Think of your colleagues who aren't into God or your, your mates on the course, whatever. That is offensive. 
I'm not, I'm not needy, I'm totally fine the way I am. Well, the next one I'd say, which links very much into that, is, is a, church, a four-year-old child, you know, they're, they're not proud, are they? They are humble. They know their station, they're just, and so they are humble, and, and so humble versus proud. And God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, that's strong. It's said three times in the scripture, so it's repeated, 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 because it's important. And, and I think anyone here is going to say, hands up, I don't struggle with pride, I'm really humble. Anyone? <laughs> and yet we are proud. We are proud, aren't we? But a little kid is not, doesn't, you know, that comes, that comes with age, and God opposes the proud. Who wants, anyone who wants, want to be in opposition to God? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. C.S. Lewis on pride said, said, the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, when you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Next one, curiosity or indifference. Or, or, or disregard, or, or disinterest, or, or, I mean, all sorts of uh, antonyms for that. Apathy, or dulled wonder. You know, little kids are so curious and looking after everything, aren't we? Aren't they? And, and, and we, I th- we've lost that as adults, in general. We've lost that sense of incredible curiosity. It was Rolf Smith, who's doing research uh, on, on kids and then adults, and the amount of questions they ask. A child, on average, asks 125 probing questions a day, and, and we adults, six. So somewhere along the line, we've lost 119 questions a day. Now listen, I'm just going through different child characteristics. Some of these are for you. Which one is it? Next one, joyful or serious? You know, I think, I think one reason why Jesus was down with the kids was because they were fun and they laugh and they're not boring and serious the whole time. Isn't that right? Research suggests that children laugh up to 300 times a day, whilst an, a, an adult on average laughs 17.5 times a day. Now, I've got four laughs out of you so far. I'm pretty happy with that. Let's keep them going. Let's get laughing. Let's have a bit more joy. Forgiving, next one, or resentful. A three or four-year-old quickly moves on, don't they? They don't don't hold on to grudges. Any of you holding on to grudges? Some of you really need to hear that. Do you want me to give you a context to your grudge, whatever it is? I'm not even belittling it, but let me tell you about my friend Judoni. Judoni's father was buried alive in a pit. So he was murdered, buried alive in the pit. Years later, so so Judoni was orphaned. He actually stood for president uh, in the summer. but as an orphan, he, he, he obviously, you know, he couldn't go back there for 15 years. 15 years later, he went back with the murder of his father to preach reconciliation and forgiveness. The murder of his father has now died. Judah is sponsoring his kids through school. What grudge are you holding on to? Seriously, what grudge are you holding on to? Forgiving or, and res- or, or, or resentful? and grudge-holding. Next one, faith-filled or skeptical. You know, I've got a dear missionary friend out in Burundi, and we were going to this big outreach where this guy was doing genuine, genuine miracles, and my doctor friend, full-on for the Lord, risked his family taking him out there. He said, I just can't believe these miracles because you're so scientifically trained. And I've got loads of stories of the miraculous. You know those pictures I shared there? So we sent out for the last 15 years, apart from last year because of COVID, uh, we sent out 700 evangelists on average each year. 700 times 14 days, two-week outreach, times 15, 14 years, times eight hours a day. That's a lot of intentional community outreach, isn't it? 
we reckon they've led 170,000 people to Jesus in that time, casting out demons, healing the sick. You saw one picture there where the guy was burning stuff in the fire. That was a witch doctor. And our guy showed up the village, and uh, he started doing his juju stuff, and then they spoke, and he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later, and he said, could you come back in two days? So they returned two days later. You saw in that picture, he assembled the whole village. And at the preaching of the gospel, and his, him burning his charms publicly, submitting to the highest power, and he is the one that if you mess with him, bzz, he'll curse you and your two-year-old will die or whatever. So he'd ru- rule that community by fear. As he burnt his charms, submitting to the highest power, he, 50 people in that village, gave their lives to Christ. Now, does a Cambridge mind struggle to believe that story? I think in the natural, we do, don't we? When I was out there in, in last, last February, uh, I was with a friend, John, and we went into the bush, and this, this boy was bought on a bicycle. So it wasn't the paralytic being let down through the roof. His friends bought him, wheeled him there on a bicycle, and he left cycling home himself. Some of us, we just thought, no, I can't, unless I see and put my hands in his side, like doubting Thomas, I will not believe. It's because you're a victim. You're a victim of social conditioning and your own lack of empirical experience, experiential reality of God. Let's recognize it. The strengths and weaknesses in all these things aren't there. Faith-filled or deeply skeptical. Well, being questioning is reasonable, but don't, don't question yourself out of the miraculous and out of God's power. God who can do extraordinary things. Next one, pliable or brittle. You know, kids, they're so adaptable. They, 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 you know, they'll suck it up, you know, so long, so long as they've got safety of mum and dad around or whatever. You know, each time I can qualify each point with that, I think the context of a, a kid, and, and those kids were being obviously brought by loving parents, weren't they, to go on the, on the knee of Jesus. They didn't have, you know, non, they went orphans or whatever. So that's the, uh, maybe the qualification. But pliable or brittle, brittle, you know, kids, they go with change so long as they're secure in their parental love. And we're so, we're so often resistant to change. Change is threatening. Uh, and many of us, we embrace the status quo at all costs, even if it's totally dissatisfactory, because it's safe. Who's that for? Feel nailed if that's for you. And by the way, you have to change. Please choose to keep in step with the Spirit. Everything's changing in the world right now, isn't it? And, uh, and we've got to embrace change. At St. Barnabas, you've got to embrace ch- change as a church. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know your context. But uh, are we pliable or are we brittle? Next one, hopeful or cynical. Little children, you know, the world's their voice and says, well, what's going to happen? I don't know, but bring it on. And, 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 and then we grow up and we become cynical. We are a cynical nation. I acknowledge the cynicism in my own heart, which I have to sort of fight against and refute and push back on. And, you know, in this, in this uh, sort of fiercely secular sort of fundamentalist society, well, let, let me quote Jim Wallace. He says, the danger of secular fundamentalism is its allergy to spirituality and disdain for anything religious. Prophetic religion is the antidote to bad religion. Prophetic faith is not the battle between secularism and faith, but rather between cynicism and hope. Prophets begin in judgment, social critique of the status quo, but end in hope. That those realities can be changed. Listen, people, it is a spiritual choice. Ultimately, cynicism protects you from commitment. You see, if things are not really going to change, well, why try so hard to make a difference? And if you have middle-class economic security, as many cynics do, things don't have to change for you to remain secure. 
And that's not intended to sound harsh, just realistic. Cynics are finally free just to look after themselves. And perhaps the only people who view the world realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everyone else may be living in some kind of denial about what's really going on and how things really are. And the, listen, and the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. And hope's not a feeling, it's a decision. And the decision for hope is based on what you believe at its deepest levels. You choose hope. You choose hope, not as a naive wish, but as a choice with your eyes wide open to the reality of the world, just like the cynics have chosen not to hope. Any cynics in the house? Take that one on the chin. The stakes are very high. Bongani, that little, that little boy that was in between us, you remember on the, that was the beach, that was Durban Beach. I was preaching down there a number of years ago. He was dying, but he was from Joburg. He buried his own mum and dad. His dream was to see the sea before he died. I had a break in my preaching schedule. I went with Anthony, the other guy, the meathead on the other side of me, um, in that picture, and he'd started a, fish, a program called Starfish. I'd met Anthony in the back of a donkey in the Egyptian desert, and we were trotting along, and you know, I said, there's something familiar about his eyes. And I said, did you do all your schooling in South Africa? He said, yes, apart from three years at a prep school in Buckinghamshire. And he was my tennis partner when we were 11 years old. <laughs> Another laugh, brilliant. And, and, and that, that sort of changed, that changed the trajectory of his life. He came back to England, did, well, changed his holiday plans, went to church with us in Cairo, did an alpha course at HTB, left merchant banking in the city, radically on fire, started this project called Starfish. And starfish, some of you know the story, there's been a storm and loads of starfish have been washed out of the water onto the beach, and the starfish out of water is going to die. And you've got this little boy in his youthful zeal, and he, he's, he's going along one at a time, and he's sort of swanging them back in, one at a time. Uh, but there's, there's so many of them, so he's not making much of a dent. And, and that's exactly what um, a guy comes up to him, an old man, and says, hey, little, little boy, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Give up. Look, there's so many. What's the point? What difference can you make? And the little boy listened respectfully, and he bent over, and he picked another one up. And he said, well, it made a difference to that one, didn't it? And that is so powerful, people. So Bongani was dying. His dream was to see the sea before he died. We drove down 6,000 from Johannesburg to Durban. That was Durban Beach, that picture there. And he wasn't fun to be with because he was, you know, his system was imploding. And, and uh, we put on his swimming togs, paddled into the water. When his eyes saw the sea, they lit up. And he got his dream, big, great big crashing wave came. He's bricking himself. We got back out again. But we gave him his dream. And then we were driving back to Johannesburg. It was late at night, and he, he snuggled up. I was in the back seat next to him. He snuggled up and sort of lay in the crook of my neck, the snotty-nosed, husky-lunged little boy that I was listening to and as his system was slowly shutting down. And, and Anthony from the front seat, he, he sort of flummoxed me with, with the question, what's God's purpose in Bongani's life? And he is dead now. But if, if you get it today, what difference can we make? All of us. What difference? We're not a statistic. Well, it made a difference to that one, didn't it? Choose hope. Choose hope over cynicism. Choose little three or four-year-old. They're secure, secure. They're not filled with self-doubt. Many of us, we're filled with self-doubt. There's a guy called Gordon McKenzie. He was doing some research, uh, and he would go into primary schools, and he would ask these kids, Hands up, who's an artist? That was the only question of his research. Hands up, who's an artist? Now, from the little ones, the four, four, three, four-year-olds, whatever, five, six, they were all, up to the age of six, they were, yeah, I'm an artist. Everyone, 30 out of 30. 
Seven-year-olds, 25 out of 30, eight, nine. By the time they got to 11-year-olds, two or three only in the class would slowly put their hands up. Yeah, yeah, I'm an, I'm, I'm an artist. Embarrassed. And the conclusion of his research was that, you know, that question, hands up who's an artist, it's just hands up who believes they've got what it takes. And his conclusion was that everything in our society and culture is sucking us into a mold of rigid conformity. And conformity is not maturity, is it? Now, that's you, that's me. I mean, I had a loving mummy and daddy. They brought me up, you know, very secure. And so ask me, age three, four, five, six, Simon, are you an artist? I'm like, yeah, I am a chaffy genius. Like, yeah, bring it on. I put my hands up. But then slowly, slowly, uh, I got crushed. I got crushed. And maybe you're crushed. Listen. Here's the deal. In fact, if we pictured your life as, as a piece of paper, you know, when, when I give my, my kids, I mean, they're a bit old, 15, 13, 11 now, but you know, all of them, age five, hey, Zach, Grace, beside, draw me a picture. And they're all pretty earnest. They took this crayon. That's already the wrong stance, isn't it? And they, and they butchered this piece of paper. It was objectively rubbish. You know, they didn't, but, but I'm, his, I'm their dad, right? So what would I do with that? I would stick it on the, on the wall for all my friends to see. It was like brilliant. I loved it. Because that's my boy. That's my girl. It's the best they've got. And so listen, if you think of your, 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 your life as this drawing right now, how would you sort of critique it yourself right now? I think a number of us would go, I got the color scheme wrong. I didn't stick close to the line. It's a bit messy. Well, here's the deal. Two things. If, if it's the best you've got, he loves it. That is very powerful. Some of you need to hear that. If it's the best you've got, he loves it. The second thing is also very powerful. If it's not the best you've got, if you have really screwed up, then phew, here's a fresh piece of paper. And let's just do it together, baby. Come on. Let's just do it together. We'll do something beautiful together. Stop ignoring me. Trust me. And we'll have that adventure together. I'm coming to, to the end. Some of you really need to hear that. Last one. Uh, trusting, trusting three-year-old on Jesus' knee, or, or, or fearful. And we are in a culture that is shackled by fear. I hate it. Why are we afraid? We don't need to be afraid. And we're being manipulated by, into fear on, on multiple levels, but, but there's all sorts of fears that, that condition us. And, and our birthright as followers of Jesus, from someone who's driven down a road and 40 people being killed and I've got through, you know, obviously faced it in quite extreme environments. I have a guy come to my house with a grenade to blow me up, wrote me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. Those are things to be afraid of, really. But we don't need to be afraid. Because where death is your victory, where death is your, is your sting. We don't, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We should be marching to the beat of a radically different drum. And that doesn't mean we don't have to be you know, sensitive and appropriate and whatever. You know. So don't read more than what I'm saying into that. During the Holocaust, Second World War, uh, Treblinka, concentration camp there, you know, this is in Poland, you, the standard modus operandi was to work people to exhaustion and then take them off to the death, ch death chamber, the, the gas chamber. And there's this family, mum, dad, very disabled, uh, mentally disabled boy, and the other uh, son. And they would go off at work in different directions. Now, 
Um, the father went off one day, and he came back at the end of the day, and there was only the healthy child left. And uh, he was like, what's happened? And what had happened was that the, well, the surviving told, child told how the guards had decided to execute the other brother because he was useless and non-productive. And the disabled brother had sobbed and grabbed his mum's skirt, and she had got down with her boy and looked him in the eye and said, don't be afraid, I'll go with you. And she grabbed his hand, and they walked into that guest chamber together. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but stick your hand in the hand of God and go, and it's going to be okay. And it might even be into the, the gas chamber. He, he didn't promise us an easy journey, did he? He just said, he promised us a safe arrival. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can trust me. In one of my low moments out in Burundi, my great, great aunt, who had spent years out in Central Africa as well, she sent me something very pithy, very short. It's about 10 lines, three lines, but it was very powerful. Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed, but look to Jesus and be at rest. That's what we can do. Listen, in conclusion, verse 17. Verse 17 is a big deal. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's pretty harsh. So the challenge is very real. I'll turn it on myself. And, and, and so just shut your eyes. Which one is for you right now? Jesus, can I call you a child? Can I, that's not being patronizing. Can I talk to you as a child? Hopefully you're willing to be, not childish, childlike. So precious child, Jesus is offering you so much today. He is getting down with the kids. And, and yes, first of all, you are needy and you are dependent. Do you recognize that? You are vulnerable. You cannot manage on your own. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. You need a protector. Stop trying to do it all on your own. You need to humble yourself. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. God opposes the proud. Please don't, don't remain in opposition to God. That is a very bad place to be. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He's longing to give you grace. You can choose today to lighten up, to be joyful and grateful and thankful instead of glum and grumpy and complaining. Precious child, be curious. Don't stop those 119 extra questions. Be full of wonder. Acknowledge where your wonder has been dulled. Renew us in that today, Lord. Let's resolve to be quick to forgive to let go of resentment and grudges and unforgiveness, Judonist style. Search me in my heart right now, Lord. Where do I need to forgive? And let's, let's embrace and adapt to change rather than resist and feel threatened by it. Is that anyone? Let's choose to be hopeful rather than cynical, which is such an easy default. It just takes us out of the game. Please, this morning, before the cross, deal with your insecurities and self-doubts. Be secure in who you are in Christ, that you've got what it takes to be who he's called you to be. And, and lastly, stop 
living shackled by fear. Stick your hand in the hand of God and move. Just go with him. Who knows where? It doesn't matter. He's with me. On the most dangerous road in Burundi, up the high street, into the lecture hall, on the course, on the team, in the office. But stop being afraid. Trust me, he says. And so, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters in the flesh here right now. Bless you and online. Receive that blessing. Receive that challenge. I don't know what was for you. I don't think we take it all, but the stakes are high. We want the kingdom of God. It's a gift of grace. But we need the spirit of a child. We need the humility of a child. We need the curiosity. We need the joy. We need the delight. We need, we need the inquis- inquisitiveness. We need this, the, the, all the stuff I've been through, Lord. We need that. Just faith, trust, childlike stuff. Thank you that you got down with me. You came down on the cross. You paid the price so that I could be brought back into relationship with you. And I pray that we'd all experience that. And this, this, this message this morning has brought comfort and it has brought challenge. And may we receive both of those. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for having me. Do come see me afterwards, grab a book, anything, talk, be great.